welcome to From the Rookery End. My name's John. Uh, with me this evening uh, is Mike. Yes, a very good evening to you, John. <laughs> and uh, we've had a very good evening here at uh, Watford Palace Theatre. It's another one of our Tales from the Vicarage specials. Uh, and we've been here for the Rockets men. All these events are always lovely and warm and, and Watfordy, but this particularly so. Yeah, I mean, if you ever need anything to take your mind off a uh, three match uh, <laughs> run of defeats. How, 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 long long how long did it take? We're at the theatre, I've got to stay in character. <laughs> Look at our staying character, but if you ever need you, uh, uh, something to remind you of why you love football, a and more accurately why you love Watford, a Tales from the Vicarage night is is the perfect antidote, the perfect reminder. And yeah, I think we always say that these are warm and comforting events, but I think the um, what I'll take away from this is the the passion that, in particular, Ian Bolton showed for the for the club in his defence of he was very robust in how he he was obviously very passionate, but the affection that these guys have for each other and the sort of um, recognition of that shared bond, that recognition of what they achieved together. And I know we, we talk about it a lot, we're Watford supporters, they were incredible times, but they really were incredible times. And what they achieved was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, you know, our little club went from zero to hero in, the, in that period of time. And what was absolutely glorious was just the affection that those, uh, it was just an unspoken thing between those guys. And you kind of saw it grew, grow over the night. So it started, at, it was good, they were out there for what, a good two, two and a half hours. Um, and the thing culminated in, in, a, in a group hug on the stage and we just saw Colin backstage who did his usual, Colin Mace, who did his usual uh, wonderful little uh, bit part in the performance and he, and he said at the end he felt quite emotional and you know I echo that and I, I don't mind admitting it did feel emotional just seeing those guys who'd achieved so much were evidently incredibly proud of what they've achieved and just having that, they had a moment out there and it was... Um, Little touches like that that these events uh, deliver so so uniquely. It was yeah, again a privilege to be here. Great stuff. Uh, we're in the, the lower half of the of the of the theatre, and you're sort of looking out. There's a massive queue of people waiting to see these guys, and and, and they were they had a great round of applause, and there's a great warmth coming from the from the audience. And we've tried our best uh, to to grab as many of the boys. Uh, we haven't spoken to yet, as we recall this, but we're hopefully going to grab them uh, once they've done all their signings, um, and, and see how they felt about uh, this evening. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. So first we spoke to Ross Jenkins. Ross, how was, how was tonight for you? Well, I enjoyed it very much. And I guess from the reac- reaction of the audience, that, that everyone said it was a very good night. Were you, were you ready for it, do you think? Was it, is it, was it a surprise you know, when you finally went out there? Well, the whole thing really has been a bit of a surprise because, you know, I live a long way away and I live a now a very quiet life. And, uh, you know, to have done the book and everything was very nice to go back over the old times, but coming back and actually having a live reaction from the crowd was, was quite something special and uh, reminded me really of something that I accomplished, uh, you know, a long time ago. So it was really going down memory lane and uh, it was very enjoyable. It's an incredible feat. You didn't just play for Watford in all four divisions, but you played for Watford when they were bottom of the league and, and top of the league. Do you, did you say you live in Spain now and it's quiet? Do you sit back and think about that? And, and what's it, what does it feel like to, 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 to realise you've done something like that? It's a very nice feeling, but I had that anyway when I finished at Watford because everything got turned around and we were very successful. So, you know, I made something of my career and also played a part in, in um, some high notoriety, in, which was in uh, getting to the Premier League and with Elton and Graham being so, so uh, popular with the press and everything. Uh, so that, that was all very nice, but for myself it was just to have been a part of it and to have, 
I think, played to a very high level, uh, performed my job on the pitch, and so along with all the others, of course, and made a, we made a very um, strong imprint, and I really think it set the keystone for for what uh, Watford now is, and uh, the the realization that you know we need to be at the top, and also we need to. Uh, maintain it we don't want to be slipping down anymore you know because that's a big big mistake and uh, shouldn't let that happen you're in a, an interesting position because you played um, you played under two managers managers before Graham turned up how different was it when Graham got there and how quickly did he start turning things around how quickly did you start seeing what was what was happening well Graham had an immediate impact because he came set in a rigid idea of what he believed in which was to get the ball forward and to have attempts at goal because he said if you don't have attempts at goal your your average of goal at this, uh, scoring goals in those is obviously he drops way down and uh, it's held up to this day really and we did get a lot of bad press because of the long ball but that was really because uh, I think we upset people by winning and um, we just carried on doing that. Like Ian said tonight, the achievement that we did get uh, really didn't resonate enough through, through the football world. Uh, it happened a bit with Leicester a couple of years ago and uh, they really shook everybody up. And I think we did that back in, uh, back in our day. You, you had a bit of a rocky start personally at Watford, but luckily for, for everyone involved, things turned round and, and you're now a bona fide Watford legend, I think it's fair to say. We can see someone just came up and kissed you while we were, <laughs> while we were talking to you, so it's, it's very, very clear the affection with which you're held here. But when did it click? Did you ever think, crikey, we're going to go places? Well, I, I think it was mentioned earlier, but we, we always had the belief under Graham that we go out and win every game. So it wasn't like we're right. We're going to get promotion this year, and we're going to get promotion next year. But it, it was working at that, and uh, to have made the achievement, it was very hard. I mean, the transformation, and also the, you know, when we started to move around a few players in the third division, uh, things got things got a bit sticky. But because of our format and because of our training, uh, we overcame that and, and succeeded. Yeah. And just some thoughts, I know you're in Spain now, I'm sure you keep tabs on Watford and you, and you, and you watch them when you can. What are your thoughts on the, on the current crop and how they're doing? Well, I think Watford have had a few ups and downs, but in, over the recent time, we couldn't really survive with a manager that didn't speak the language. And, and previous to that, we had a popular manager, but he didn't really uh, seem to get enough going, although he was popular with the crowd. Then we had an unpopular manager who didn't seem to get anything going, but hang on, managed to you know, get us just over the line. So now, now it looks much better, um, and the potential is there. So that's something that they have to work on. Um, the, the quality of the player uh, comes with, with being in a good team and that's something that I'm sure still needs to be looked at. We need, we need a bit more quality in the attacking uh, third of the field because we now have a team that's going to go at other teams, you know, and we're going to attack them and we're going to look to win. So that's good. And now perhaps we just a bit more juggling and and we'll be a solid team in the Premier League. Because we've, we've recently signed uh, Andre Gray, you know, as you were, a record signing for the club. And he has he scored a goal. You know, he's, he's not really you know, started what, you, what you'd hope, fans hope, uh, a big signing would be like. You've been there. 
What advice would you give Andre, do you think, in, the, in these next couple of months to sort of turn himself around to, to hopefully being a, as a much success as you? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think I can offer too much advice to him personally, but I think what happens is whenever you bring a new player into a team, they have to find a position where players play with them and the areas to exploit are, are there, you know, so that the player can express themselves. He just has to. Uh, he just has to keep his game solid, uh, be confident in his own ability, and also, and also, it's very much the manager's job to to make his position on the field correct for the players that are around him. So it's it's a combination of, of the of the player adjusting to the, his teammates and also his teammates uh, being able to serve in the ball when it's best for him. A lot of uh, forwards come under question when the teams don't don't uh, score goals and and it's always the case throughout the league but in my understanding and my belief is you have to look at the whole structure that's creating the, the opportunities from the rookery end uh, next we were lucky to speak with Steve Sherwood so Steve you've been come off stage how was it? How did you feel out there? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it was great for us all to get back together and to get the reaction from the people in the, the theatre was great. Yeah, was that a surprise, do you think? No, not really. I mean, it, we had mostly success. So, yeah. you know, you could, but to see all, you know, everybody signing afterwards and the smiles on their faces, it does mean a lot. And it was, you know, it was a fantastic era. And, it's so great to look back and remember all the stories and things. We, we were watching from the side and it, and it felt to us that at the end was a bit of a moment. It felt sort of quite emotional, there was a bit of electricity in the air. You guys had a bit of a, a hug on stage. Do you, do you feel that? That, that sort of bond manifested itself there? I can't, I can't state how good that dressing room was. You know, from, probably right from the start as well. It was the early guys as well, your Keith Mercers, all, you know, the, some of the local lads that played here. It was electric in that dressing room and, and there were such good characters and the ones Graham brought in added to that and it was, you know, we, we were just fearless in the end, really. Yeah. Yeah. One of my questions was going to be, at what stage, I mean, you're obviously the Rocket Men, you played in 4th Division, 3rd Division, 2nd Division, 1st Division, had incredible success, we all know about, but at what stage did you realise or what stage did you have an inkling what might be about to happen? What what this club could achieve? Used to train at Shendish, and I can remember, I can early in the season, I can remember us all sat there while he was going through his all his stuff and that. And I remember thinking to himself, this guy's special. I mean, his, his attention to detail was amazing. And he used to every player, he'd, he'd have a chat with him during the week and tell him how that affected the game, even my kicking. You know, it seemed strange, but he wanted me to kick it as high and as long as I could. Because if we got throw-ins and corners at the other end of the position, at the pitch, that's where the goals are scored from. So every, every, after every match, you used to tell me, you did this, you did that, we scored from this. And it made you feel good. It made you feel, even without not your goalkeeping, it just made you feel good that you were adding to the to the team and the way that Graham wanted to play. And you, and you quoted Graham on stage. I think the, the question was if you could pass on one bit of advice that Graham, Graham gave you. And I think he, you said he always said, aim for first place. There's no point doing anything else. And I made a mental note to ask you, do players actually believe it? And But talk, looking at you now, I can tell 
that you did. I think he got to a stage where whatever he said, he just said, wipe somebody's backside, you'd have done it. I think. <laughs> but, but no, I think, I think he had so much respect for the man that and he's right in the philosophy. I mean, Leicester, nobody had given him a chance of winning the league, but it's possible. Mm. You know, if, if you've got players in there that are willing to not die for the club, but are willing to give 100% and work hard and, listen, and you've got a good manager, then there's a chance that you can do that against teams. Because a lot of these, I watch a lot of these Premiership, and Ross is right, when you put everybody behind the ball and play for a draw, there's something not quite right there. For a club like Manchester United to play like that, for me, that's, it's, you know. Is, is that, do you not think that is another very strong manager? But he's made the choice to not play as Graham did, to play negatively and to almost, you know, you, you know Ross said at several points, you know, the aim was to score one more goal. It seems to be Man United, the aim is to score a goal and then go, that, that'll do us. To me, it gives the, the thought that they're not good enough to beat that team. That's what it tells me straight away. And, and that's what, that, if I was the opposition, that's what I'd think. They're going to play against us that they don't fancy beating us. So that would give me a boost to think we can beat these. There's been, there's been loads of smiles tonight and it's been a, a great evening, but we know football all, all, isn't always fun. Um, and there's two incidents that, that affected you, obviously the FA Cup final and then the, the issue with the, the FA Cup semi-final. How do you look back on those, on those two issues, those two events now? Well, I've never to this day watched the FA Cup final. I've never watched it. Because whether I'd made a mistake or not, it's such a big game to actually lose in a big game like that. Uh, you know, having a winner's medal to a loser's medal is so massively different. Uh, but, you know, it was sad because we, we up until that second goal we were playing well. We may be the better side. And that killed the game off, really. So I've, I've got no qualms about Andy Gray. At the end of the day, he's doing his job, but the referee was one who didn't do his job. And that's what's disappointing, because the next day he still stood by his decision, even though they showed it in slow motion. You could clearly see Andy Grant edited the ball at all. So, I mean, it's still a massive source of pride for Watford supporters that we got there, and I, I fully understand from a professional footballer's point of view, you're not bothered about, about that. But, but talk to us very, very quickly. You don't want to dwell on it, because it's, it's not that kind of night. But, but that semi-final back in 87, what was, the, what was the situation there? Yeah, I mean, that was worse, really, because... I hadn't played that many games and Tony got, for a while, and Tony got injured, but I was feeling great, you know, we were at Lilla Shawl and that, I was ready to play in the semi-final, loving every minute, and then my hand just got stuck in the turf, and it's only a little finger, but it's, it's still a bit, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a bad, but, but, and the problem was there was no hospital nearby within an hour, about an hour's drive, so it was stuck out like that for about an hour. And they put it, they put it back in, and all that. But and it was sore and painful. But with the gloves that you had in those days, uh, I had a really stringent fitness test in the morning. It was wet and windy, to, to catching crosses, doing some shots, and then I laid down on the ground like that. And he was kicking the ball against me hand as hard as I could. And at the end, he says, "How is it?" I says, "I'm fine, fine." Where are you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fine, I can play. And then went back to the hotel and Billy Ailes, who was a physio, just called in and says the gaffer wants to have a word with you. And I was just shocked when he says you're not going to play you. But Were you even I shocked? I couldn't even say anything. I was just dumbstruck. 
and I went back to Steve Sims and he, said, and he says uh, what he's going to play this wine waiter instead of you sort of thing and that made me feel even worse really. <laughs> but do you know what what awful watching that game because I, I couldn't win anyway because if they'd have won it would have been a master stroke by and I'd have still felt the same and the fact that we lost it was not having a chance of getting to Wembley again and maybe not obviously if Tony had been fit he'd have played but it would have been great to have had that chance to do me a bit. And but it wasn't even a surprise that David James didn't get the call up ahead. Yeah, I think Jamesy at that stage was pretty. <laughs> yeah, very. Yeah, yeah. He, he was obviously ability the lad had was immense, but he wasn't ready to play first team football at that stage. Yeah. So we force you to talk about two of the worst memories in, in your Watford career, so apologies for that, Steve. We get a Watford legend on the podcast and we drag him down, uh, down memory lane in the nasty places. But if you had to name your, your favourite moment in a Watford shirt, perhaps not the, not the obvious ones where we get uh, promoted or, or win a semi-final, but one thing that really sticks in your mind that you sort of really cherish. Uh, probably winning the game I had at, at Arsenal when we won 4-2 at Ivory. That was especially the second half, was just under the cosh completely. I just saved everything, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the, the second best game, maybe equally as good game, we went to China and played a Chinese eleven, and I had an amazing game in that game, and we, we beat them 3-1. And it was, in a way, I took that as a representing my country. Okay. And that, that did give me an extra lift actually because it was like representing your country against the Chinese and it was great to have a good game in that even though it didn't really matter much but yeah. Did that feel like the sort of opportunities you were afforded at Watford that you were, people didn't get elsewhere like the trip to China and, and there's the other sort of stuff on the periphery like Elton John's garden parties and yeah. stuff like that, did you feel you had some a different experience because it was Watford? Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was an amazing club to be at at the time you know, the, you know Graham was great he kept Elton at arm's length, but you still knew you had a superstar as a chairman, and it was a bit different. And the way he did the, the uh, opened his house up every year to everybody at the football club was great. You know, he had Ledger Simmons, the groundsman, and all sorts of people there, but it was great to see. And it was, you know, just part of the Watford story, really. And, uh, and terrific. Last question then, apart from your good self, best ever Watford goalkeeper and why? Tony Coton, I think. I thought, you know, when, when Tony took me, took me, obviously he gutted and that, but when, when you saw him in training and you saw him perform every... Although he had to go out and buy John McClelland, it wouldn't have been any different. <laughs> it wouldn't have been any different. Because the, the back four then was, was... You know, they were decent players, but they just didn't have the togetherness. A lot of goals were scored with a lot of like one-on-ones with, with goalkeepers and things like that. And the first game that Tony had at Chelsea was 5-4. So, and then he bought John McClelland and he had that pace and experience that made the difference, really. So, in a way, I wish he'd have bought John McClelland first and it, could have been, it might have been a bit different. But Tony was a great keeper, yeah. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Adam, we're here again, and we finished another Tales from the Vicarage, and you you finished another Tales from the Vicarage. How was this one for you? I thought it was um, it was a lot of fun. It felt uh, different to the the previous ones. Obviously, had live musical accompaniment yeah. from from Joe Pike, who um, I found on on the interweb, and he 
took to it really, really well. And I thought that that was, it just sort of made the, the start of a different sort of tone and, and feel. And, you know, from, from then onwards, there was, it's just quite emotional, wasn't it? Yeah, the whole, the whole night yeah. was. And I think, you know, we spoke to Mike Walters um, earlier, and he sort of said, you know, when you were putting the book together, it felt like a part of that role of this, this particular volume was to, to, you know, in the year that we lost Graham, was to sort of, to talk about him in a, not not as direct way yeah. um and the fact that those four men were, were part of it and the way they spoke about him mm. actually i think that they say that song at the beginning really set the tone for the whole night but the way the four of them spoke about being at watford but him in particular mm. was just lovely yeah and they they had an opportunity to reconnect with the with the town as well i mean i know look luther is at every game so he's very familiar with the feel and he's been more in touch with the emotions since Graham's passing and I know the guys you know came to the funeral but I think they were able to come back reconnect with the town and also realize how highly regarded they are and there was a few quivering lips in there and there's a few uh, little tears being squeezed out of eyes as I was looking across you know glistening under the lights and um, I think they they enjoyed it as much as as the people watching as well. It felt like a moment, I think, and I think we always do talk about how these events are warm and they are for the Watford family and they are very, very rewarding. But I think this one, there was a real slow burn towards what culminated in a in a four-man hug at the end there. And that, was like a, that felt like a real moment. That felt like they were listening to each other when they spoke quite intently. Mm. Um, I think they were re-remembering stuff again, much like John Barnes said. He, seemed, he warmed up, I thought, as, as that evening went on and... We learnt, we learnt new stuff and four different men though, aren't they? And we just spoke to, to Steve Sherwood and I think um, it was almost the Watford team in microcosm out there tonight, wasn't it? Yeah. And why they were so successful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way that they came across, I was wondering because, you know, it is 40 years ago um, and they all live in different parts of the country. You know, Ross lives over in Spain, goes on safari for three months and all that sort of stuff. Um I was goals. yes <laughs> yeah exactly um that I wasn't sure if they would connect but then within a minute even when they came in these dressing rooms here at the at the at the theater it's like being in the dressing room again and that always fascinates me that however long the period is between when they were you know doing their thing how long however long it, it expands in front of us they just sort of they're just like straight back in it. It's like being in a time machine sometimes when we're on, on stage because they don't care about winding each other up, which I which I love. There's no sort of oh, we mustn't upset Ross or we mustn't upset <laughs> they just go they just go all in, which I, I really like. It's really good. What really stood out for me tonight was um Ian Bolton was very passionate, I thought. He was very staunch and robust and his sort of love for Watford manifest itself in a slightly slightly different way. And um I just thought that stood out. Did you feel the same? Yeah, and I think that his, um, I think his emotions about the current game, and maybe falling out of love with the with the current game, just speaks volumes for the enjoyment that they obviously had mm. at the time. And um, you could see in you know on another subject him not feeling that he had to defend the way that they played. But it obviously still rankles with with him that they were 
the whole way that we played was was misconstrued because they were very proud of it and they were also proud of the preparation that they'd done people were making out like it was a simplistic um uh sort of crass way of playing football okay maybe it was simple but it was it, it was sim simple because it was direct and clever and it was well organized and i don't know i'm, I'm sort of rambling on but I just think that they, they're very proud of the work that they did together as a team and especially of Graham for putting that blueprint in place to make it, make it easy for them on the pitch. I think as supporters, I was glad to see that because it rankles with me. It annoys me. I don't think Graham ever got the, got the credit he deserves for the sheer detail that he went into and things like that. So I'm glad that they're just not professional about it and let it wash over them. I'm glad that it annoyed him because it annoys me and I think it should annoy us as a, as a football club. But an incredible achievement for men that played in all four divisions. Something else, isn't it? It is amazing. And I don't think that it's going to be repeated anytime soon. Um, and I just, I just like the fact that they're, they're together and have been together on, on stage, but also together within the cover of the book as well. That they're all sort of happy that their stories are wrapped up in a, you know, a nice yellow and black cover and... It's got a nice rocket on the on the front of it. I just I just like the fact that they're happy with the project that they've been involved in. And we always talk about oh, you know the project, the project. <laughs> but no, it's it's a, it's been a it's been a, a heartwarming project to be to be part of because I think that they have been able to tell their own stories in their own ways and a little bit longer than we've been able to um, speak to individuals in previous volumes. To my admittedly untrained eye, it, uh, ear even, yeah. um, it sounded like you might have been describing a book there with like pages and something <laughs> on the front. Is there something we should know about? Yeah, yeah, that's it's funny. You should say that actually. Yeah, no, there's there is a there is a book out. Uh, the uh, the Rocket Men uh, is uh, is out there. If anyone lives in in Watford, make sure you go and have a look at the Watford Palace Theatre because we have covered it not necessarily from top to toe, but as best as we could with. Rocket Men covers and colours and pictures of the of the great men uh, in yellow and in yellow and red. Um, so yeah, the book is out. You know where to find us on on Twitter and Facebook and Amazon and Waterstones and all that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get it for Christmas. And here's where we get our exclusive. What's next? So many people have asked me. Oh, uh, no, I know. <laughs> no, so many people have asked me this evening. What what's next? I, I have to say. And I know I, I often do say, it. and then you, and then you, Glenn Hodges, yeah, <laughs> Glenn Hodges. I think it might be time for Glenn, just Glenn, just a, it's Glenn time. But called Glenn, Glenn Yeah, that's speak of the devil. I think it's time for a Glenn and tonic. Well, drink to that. Cheers, Adam. Thanks. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. So, Mike, uh, we go off now for Watford fans uh, with a home game against West Ham. Dare I ask, are you looking forward to it? Look, what for the plane, I'll always look forward to it. It's, I was talking, it's actually, I had a, had a conversation with my brother in the week and we were talking about, I don't understand football supporters, if their team's playing, they don't get excited and they don't go. So, um, yeah, I'm one of those people who is uh, afflicted with getting excited every time Watford play. So, yes, I'm looking forward to it and making sure that David Moyes has uh, no honeymoon period. Yeah, we'll see what happens uh, next week. We're back with another From the Rookery End, as uh, we all every week during the season. 
thank you much for listening to this uh, special. Thank you to Adam uh, for giving us the access that we do to these events because um, it's wonderful to speak to some of these old players uh, and to sit and watch these lovely events uh, that he puts on. Uh, as well, the book, which of course you can get from talesfrom.com uh, via Amazon and all good book outlets. Uh, some bad ones. And some bad ones. Uh, so uh, do get the Rocket Men. Um, it's, it's a fantastic book written by uh, Ollie Phillips and Mike Walters, telling the story of those four men who took Watford from the fourth division to the first division. It's an amazing thing playing in fourth, third, second, and first division for a club like Watford. Extraordinary. Go read all about it. Thank you for listening. Do tell your friends uh, and make sure you subscribe. Come on, yours. <laughs>